text comes to us from the gospel according to Matthew, chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. Before I read the text, it's important for us to understand the context. For that is true for every passage in the Bible, how it connects to the other texts around it. Jesus has just had a showdown in the temple with the temple lawyers, scribes, and Pharisees. And in every case, they try to trap Jesus into a place that Jesus commits some heresy around the law. They had already seen Jesus heal on the Sabbath and pick grain on the Sabbath and even touch uh, a woman with a hemorrhage, which was a a purification uh, law break, and also touch dead people. Um, They had seen Jesus break law after law, and so they were trying to get Jesus in, in, in a way to convict himself. And every time, Jesus was able not only to step out of that being the victim, but turn the whole law they were using back around so that those trying to convict him ended up convicting themselves. That's the genius of Jesus. Beaten, the temple leaders go off to try to figure out a way to kill this imposter, they think. And Jesus is walking out of the temple, and the disciples are overcome by the size of the temple. I mentioned this last week. And they're boasting about how large it is, and Jesus says, yeah, well... Uh, In your lifetime, this temple will be turned to rubble and all of the stones will be cast down. And and they were disheartened by that, not knowing what that meant. They were shocked and scared. Then what is known in preaching circles as the little apocalypse, that is, in each gospel there's a little apocalypse, Jesus tells them that many will come in my name and lead many astray, and there will be many false prophets, and much suffering, and wars, and earthquakes, and an increase of lawlessness, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures, Jesus says, will be saved. He was telling them all this to prepare them for his crucifixion, the imminent destruction of the temple, and Romans invasion, and the Roman invasion of Jerusalem which would also destroy that town too in A.D. 70. Matthew especially has that in his text for that reason. But Jesus also added, as to the time and seasons when this will be, no one knows, not the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Therefore, do not lose heart in times of hardship, Jesus says, Stay faithful in the face of suffering. Get out of your fear. Get off your duffs. Get to work, for you don't know when the Messiah will come again. Then Jesus follows all this up with two parables. The parable of the ten maidens, wedding maidens. Five had lamp in their, uh, oil in their lamp, five didn't. And this morning's parable from Matthew 35 verses 14. Let us pray. Oh God, open up this word of life to us so that we may 
be enlivened by it. In Christ's name, amen. Again, Jesus talking to his disciples about when the Messiah and the end of the world will come. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, a talent, maybe in the King James or Revised Standard Version is the word. A talent is 6,000 denarii. One denarii is one day's labor. So we're talking about a lot of money. Six uh, bags of gold is what this text is using. To one he gave five bags, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who'd received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who'd received five bags of gold brought the other five, and the master said, And he said, Master, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I've gained five more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. And the man with two bags of gold also came and said, Master, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. And see, I've gained two more. And his master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came and said, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. In other words, he's calling him a cheat. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, Here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed, huh? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have at least received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him now and give it to the one who has ten bags For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be given, excuse me, taken from them. And throw this worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So ends the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I have... uh, avoided this parable as many times as I can, having listened to it enough uh, sitting out there where you are and also having had to preach it a few times, I've never really liked it, to tell you the truth. There are too many issues. But it took me a while later in life uh, for me to finally get what I think is the punchline. Maybe because this parable seems to be about money, gold, We are easily dazzled, mesmerized by the glitter of it. It makes this story of Jesus rewarding 
those who invest wisely and punishing those who are too scared to invest at all, hard to understand. Is it the gold? It leads to gold fever. It, it blinds us to make us do stupid things. And this parable seems to reward the haves at the expense of the have-nots. Give to the one who has and take away from the one who has not, according to the story. Because of their ability, one guy gets five bags, one, two, and one, one. What's the ability? Their ability to do what? Their ability to invest? Their ability to know what to do with it? It sounds almost like Jesus is justifying Adam Smith capitalism. Or that some people are just born into that gifted place. Some people are just born with five talents. Some people are born with two talents. And God bless his heart, some people are born with one. You know how many times that's been used for the superiority of races and genders and intellect? You know, happens all the time. Their ability, those with the most ability get more, the poor smuck with less gets less. And in the end, he has to hand it over to the two guys who already have it, or at least the one guy who has 10. It doesn't make any sense. And I'm, and I'm dazzled by this glitter of gold, you see, because that's what Jesus' parables are all about. They're meant to dazzle us. They're, they're, like, they're not like those precise 18th and 19th uh, paintings. Uh, the, each... each brushstroke precisely uh, on the piece of bark on the limb of that birch tree, uh, re realistically. They're not like, Jesus' parables are more like Impressionist paintings. No, even more than that, Jesus' parables are more like Picasso's paintings. You can't figure out what it is. There are shapes and faces and colors and but once you get a sense of it then they all it all falls into place the angles and color it all makes sense the pieces come together that's exactly what Jesus parables are like but this one oh do I have to preach it how about this version Elon Musk hands, Musk hands over eight gazillion dollars to three of his people before going off to Monaco for a long time. Since each one had different job descriptions, he hands out the money, each according to their ability. Five gazillion to his CFO, two to his CPA financial administrator, and one to his chauffeur. Then CFO, with the five G's, invests it in an AI startup called ChatGOD that hits it big. The CPA puts it into a fidelity mutual fund, mostly large cap, 80% stocks. The third guy, he's nervous, he's scared, he's just a chauffeur, and he's been listening to way too much talk radio driving around, 
convincing him that the economy is going to go south, that government cannot be trusted, that the deficit is rising and the end of the world and inflation is soon to follow. So he figured the safest way to protect his one G is to turn it into $1,000 bills and stack them up in the basement. After shipping around on his yacht in Monaco, Elon returns in his new prototype Tesla rocket ship and calls the three of them into account for their investments. The CFO and CPA who doubled the investment, they get a slap on the back. Well done, good guys, you're my men, way to go. And then the fearful chauffeur who had the least investment ability of all comes in all proud that he hadn't lost any of the money and instead of getting slapped on the back, he gets slapped in the face. And Elon says, you worthless, worthless person, give me your money and then hands it over to the one with 10 Gs. Their own ability? What ability are we talking about? I think I finally for me at least, figured it out. It's not about money. And it's not about intellect. And it's not about wealth. And it's not about strength. It's about the ability to invest our life into a world of giving. Granted, this parable always shows up at stewardship. And I'm not trying to make it a stewardship sermon, whatever in the world that is. But I'm trying to say that this is not about money and, and, and this phrase, to the best of their ability, but it is instead the ability to trust the master who gave it to them. The ability to trust the life that has been given to us we all have different abilities with that. We're all on some level. Some people have no ability. Some people have level five. And those, Jesus says, well, good, trusty servant. You have been trustworthy in a few things. The ability to invest your life into something that bears fruit for the sake of the world. And the pure, poor smuck just dug a hole and buried it because he was scared and needed to play safe. And he didn't trust God and he didn't trust the world and he didn't trust his master and he didn't trust himself. Sometimes we get there. You just can't do anything but stay buried in the same old, same old, watching the same channels on television eating the same food in the same restaurants, believing in the same old politics, sitting in the same old chair. Same old, same old. The parable says, he knew this one, this one talent man, he knew that God was a harsh man reaping where he did not sow, gathering where he did not scatter, and he was afraid. That was a lie. 
Now, I know there are times when we have to do this, when all we can do is find a hole and jump in it and stay in it until we get better. Life is hard and brutal for a lot of people. We get depressed and we, and we get full of grief and all we can do is dig in and hunker down. I know that, I know that illness comes, a pandemic, an accident, a failure. I know we have to just hunker down. But the parable is not condemning that. If all our time becomes that, that we stay holed up and protected, then we are wasting the very gift that God has given us called life. A gift based on trust. Trust of God, trust of life, trust in life, that God is trustworthy enough to invest in us so that we can then invest in others. I've talked to a couple of young people recently who have said out of fear for the future they are no, not going to have children. Fear of what? Climate change, politics, war, disease, the economy, a long list. And I acknowledge that, yes, there's plenty to be afraid of in our world. And I ask, who or, who or what do you trust then? God? And they usually shake their heads. Why not? I'm not sure there is a God, one or two might say. Or if there is a God, he, he, he's gone on a long trip and he hadn't come back. This is Jesus' warning to us in this parable. Even when it seems the master is a long way away and not coming back, we are called to trust him and trust the process and invest in life and grow and become and reach out and, and, and give ourselves away. How do you do that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that by becoming fully me. I, that's my goal in life is to become more fully me. Oh, please. I can promise you, you do not want to be more fully me. I am sick to death of being fully me. You got that? I know therapy tells us we need to discover and claim our identity, and there is a real important step for us to take. However, whatever we claim about ourselves is never truly fully me or you until we give that me or you away to something greater than ourselves. That's the point of this parable. Invest it liberally and don't sit in it or on it. A friend of mine called me a couple of years ago to come help him because his wife was now uh, in hospice. There was no longer anything they can do, and he wanted me to sort of help him and the family through the process. And uh, they were all friends, church members, and I agreed to do it, but I said, first I need to talk to your wife. So I went up to her bedroom, and, and I sat down in, in, beside her bed and told her what her husband wanted to do, and, and she broke out laughing hysterically. And I, I said, well, that's not exactly what I expected to find. 
She said, it's just like my husband to call in the professionals to do something that he doesn't think he can do himself. But actually, I'm very touched, she said, and appreciate your being here. But before we start planning my funeral, can we start spending the rest of our time together planning whatever life I have left? So we did. And she decided to write a letter to all three children telling them how much that she loved them, how grateful she, wa she was for their lives, their wonderful gifts, their personalities, each one with their own abilities according to their personalities and relationships. And she wrote them not so that it would go in her will that they could read when she died. She wrote those letters so that she could sit down with each child before she died and have them read it in front of her and then talk together about what it meant for her to write it and for that child to read it, to connect in a real life-giving way. And then she quoted to me that iconic Mary Oliver quote. We've seen it a thousand times. Remember, Steve, she said, tell me, what is it you plan to do with the one wild and precious life. And I think this is what Jesus is asking us, telling us, even if the world appears to be coming to an end, trust the master and the gift of life given to us to invest faithfully in that world. You know what Martin Luther King, not Martin Luther King, but Martin Luther said when, when asked, what would you do if you knew tomorrow the world was going to end? Martin Luther says, I'd plant a tree. There you have it. And the reason I know that this is about investing in those in the world with our lives and giving it away is because right after this parable comes that massively powerful passage in Matthew 25 where Jesus follows it up with, when the Son of Man comes in all his glory and he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him, it's judgment time. And the master has come home and now he wants to know how his people have invested themselves in my kingdom. And these, Jesus starts separating them, sheep from goats. And what does it take to be a goat? You walk by people who are in need. What does it take to be a sheep? They were hungry and you gave them food. They were thirsty and you gave them drink. They were suffering and you cared for them. They were, they were lost and you helped them find the way back. They were naked and you clothed them. They were prisoners and you, that's what sheep do. And if you're, a, if you're a goat, you just walk by and tisk tisk, but for the grace of God go I. It's stewardship season, but it's not about the money. It's about asking ourselves and asking God what God can do in and through us for the sake of God's kingdom in this world now. That's the question. And our willingness to boldly, boldly reach out and to care for those who need mercy. Amen.